This is Let's Talk Tribe, the official Let's Go Tribe podcast, episode 45, not a fantasy football podcast, recorded on September 8th, 2016. Let's Talk Tribe, uh, the number one fantasy football podcast. Now, I think if we were, maybe we'd get a few more listeners, but we, of course, are the Let's Go, Let's Go Tribe podcast uh, with your hosts, me, Matt Lyons, and Jason Lucart. Jason, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. My beloved Carlos Santana hit his 30th home run tonight. Everyone who hates him can, well, this is a family podcast, so I won't say, but uh, I'm in a good mood tonight. I'm, I'm hoarse. Which could be because I was screaming when he hit his 30th home run, or it could be because I'm not used to talking to 24 fourth graders again yet, and I'm going hoarse. Uh, hopefully the voice holds up for the rest of the night, though. Now, wouldn't you have been teaching while he hit his 30th home run? Yeah, I was. I did not actually <laughs> Well, I really hope see. you were screaming. That'd be awesome. I did not get to see it when it happened. I had to check the box score after the kids went home. And we mentioned... I would have been screaming. <laughs> Just directly at him without them knowing why. <laughs> and if the Indians, I'll say if, I don't want to jinx, but if the Indians make the postseason, there's a pretty good chance one or two of their games will be weekday day games. Uh, and if they start early, I'm going to have to find some sort of frivolous task for my students to work on while I sit at my desk and follow the game, I guess. That's what packets are for. That's what they're always <laughs> for. <laughs> that or subs, I guess, is just the two people that use packets the most. That's what I remember anyway. Uh, but yeah, Carlos Santana's 30 home runs. We mentioned right before we started that we were going to mention it. I didn't know you were going to lead off with that, but that works. <laughs> I guess I should have known that would be the first thing you want to talk about is Carlos it's Santana. On my hand, to his credit, Mike Napoli has also reached 30 home runs, 31 in fact. So yeah, he got there first. After a long drought without one, now have two 30 home run hitters. I think it's uh, 2002, Jim Tomey and Ellis Burks were the last Tribe teammates to both get to 30. So it's been a while. It's... Uh, we can celebrate and we can, you know, once we kind of rub it into the ground the next few days, we can put the 30 home runs meme to bed, I guess. Now we have to complain that no one ever hits 40 home runs. It's going to happen, you know it. And I'm pretty sure 2002 is also the last right-hander period, right? I think that was Ellis Burks, too. And then 2007 was the last, like, any. It was Grady Sizemore, who was left-handed at 30. So, yeah, it's a big milestone. Not Maybe not as big as people make it out to be, or they have made it out to be, but... And did you see Mike Napoli's 30th home run? That yeah. Was killed. I thought it was going to hit the scoreboard. That was nice. Yeah, Mike Napoli has hit some big home runs. He gets his money's worth on his swings. Oh, yeah. And, and sometimes he gets robbed of his money. I don't know where to reverse that analogy, but sometimes they look really ugly with the way he cuts his swings. But when he actually hits them, they're really nice to watch, I think. Have this lined up or anything, but do you think he's the best one to watch when he gets a hit? Like when he actually makes solid contact? Is there anybody better to watch on the Indians right now? No, I mean, he's got the big, I mean, you know, Jim Tomey was like that where he, a big cut. So when he, when he makes solid contact, it's a, a beautiful looking hit. Oh yeah. Every time. And speaking of Tomey, sort of something I want to bring up, I don't, I think it was Bob Nightingale, USA Today. I don't know if you saw this, but he said in a tweet that Mike Napoli, comma, the leader of the Cleveland Indians, which seemed a little weird. I mean, as fun as he is to watch, he has the whole party in Napoli's thing. I don't, I've never really thought of him as the leader. He's like a veteran presence kind of thing, but am I crazy to think that isn't quite accurate? Yeah, I saw it too, and I don't know. I mean, I, like, I haven't heard anything from actual Indians beat writers 
giving the you know like he's he seems very well liked he's popular the party at napoli thing you know that was created around him has really taken off um but yeah I, i definitely get more of the veteran presence than like team leader the other thing is though they're I don't really know who I would say is the team leader. I mean, Lindor is the best player, and he's obviously got uh, you know a really good head on his shoulders for someone as young as he is. But I, I mean, if you had to tell me, or you ask me who the leader is, I don't know. It just feels like a bunch of guys that like playing together, and not to get cliche, but like they don't need a leader because everyone's kind of taking care of their business, and you know everyone's sort of there for each other and all that sort of stuff. Uh, so I don't know. I, I guess I wouldn't say Napoli, but I also don't have anyone I want to nominate in his place instead. Yeah, I feel like it's Terry Francona, I guess. I mean, there's got to be a player one, too, but without them explicitly saying it, w- there's no way we can really know. I mean, Jason Kipnis could look like the leader on the field, but maybe he goes back and like punches pictures of everybody's puppies or something. Everybody hates him. I don't know. We, we don't know unless they actually say, like, this is our clubhouse leader, but I don't know. I yeah. guess it's just either Frank Kona or Jason Kipnis has always seemed like it to me. I think he's the one last season who called the player only meeting and got on everybody. <clears throat> he seems kind of quieter on the field, but whenever there comes out something about like behind the scenes or stepping up, it always seems like it's Kipnis to me, but I think Lindor is getting there eventually. I just don't think it's Napoli at all. Yeah. And to me, Victor Martinez is the last guy who felt like, like a bona fide team leader that way. Still too soon to bring that up, Jason. <laughs> I know his knees are falling apart rapidly, but it's still too soon. <laughs> okay, so um, we have quite a lot to talk about this week. We're going to have game recaps, and it just feels like in one in the past week alone, it feels like every game had its own individual story, which I guess will happen as we get closer down the closer to the postseason, into the postseason. Every game has a bigger, maybe not a bigger impact now, but it's getting talked about more, and every little decision is starting to be more analyzed. And we're going to talk about one of those decisions, decisions, which was Monday's quote-unquote bullpen game, where Mike Clevenger started. He only went 43 pitches, and then he was pulled. They used eight pitchers altogether. Uh, we're going to talk about the Royals and the Tigers. Are we afraid of them? Is there any reason to be? Or can we just kind of admit the Indians are going to be in the postseason yet? And also, since we didn't have a podcast last week, we're a little bit behind on this, but we can talk about some temper call-ups, and from there, just kind of the roster spots who we think is going to be in the fringe spots and i guess technically we'll do a twins preview <laughs> they're really bad the Indians are good yeah at this point in the season all of the division teams i feel like we have a pretty good handle on, yeah. on who they well the are. other ones at least there's something compelling because i mean they pay the royals and tigers coming up but the whole joke about the indians being horrible against the twins doesn't even work anymore so there's nothing fun <laughs> except brian dozier is really good all of a sudden but yeah yes. we'll kind of skim over that and get the social media questions at the end i think but yeah the game recaps Indians swept the Marlins, split the series with the Astros. There's actually two pretty questionable calls in the first game. They had the one where Jason Kipnis checked his swing, sort of. But it was actually a strike. It should have been a strike. It should have been a strikeout. Um, they should have thrown out Carlos Santana at the same time. But they ended up with no outs, and they scored, a, I think, multiple runs in that inning. And then, of course, today, that... <laughs> I know you were at work, so you might not have saw it live, but Lonnie Chisholm Hall sort of checking his bat. The ball hit the dirt off his bat, and it went in... I don't think it went quite to the dugout, but it went over in the foul territory. Uh, The catcher, the Astros catcher, instead of, you know, going after the ball or something, he just stood and was arguing with home plate umpire Jim Joyce about it. And then apparently Joyce agreed and just stopped play. (laughs) No reason. Nobody grabbed the ball. Two people are, I think all three runs scored at that point. But then they had a little mini review and they decided, okay, only two runs scored because reason. So that was the whole weird thing today. Uh, But all week, there's been a whole bunch of big things. There was the other bug game we had now. Andrew Miller looking almost bad for a little bit. Uh, Trevor Bauer having a really good game. So yeah, what stood out just this whole week to you? 
I, I mean, they, you know, we didn't talk last week, uh, so they came off sort of the frustrating series against the Rangers two weekends ago now, uh, where they that was sort of the, the stretch where the offense just couldn't do anything, and then playing the Twins and Marlins sort of six game winning streak makes you forget your problems, and then the Astros you lose the first two and you start to it, it's been back you know again the, when the Indians are in contention for me every game you know, it's amplified. Like you were saying, every game gets more attention. It doesn't count more in the standings, but you realize its potential impact on the season matters more. Just be, Well, the season matters more. Um, but the Indians have a six-game lead now, and that's a pretty sizable lead with three and a half weeks left. Uh, I know we're going to get into the Tigers and Royals later. I would say the short version is for me. I don't feel like they're out of the woods yet. Um but, but the offense has gotten going again after that bad stretch, and uh, there's no Indians fan on the planet who wouldn't have taken a six-game lead with three and a half games left in the season. So uh, things look good. The bizarre, I, I didn't see today's play when it happened. Um, I haven't even actually seen a replay. I've only read about it. Um, but I know Joyce talked to, I don't know, however umpires talk to reporters after the game. I don't know if they like just release a statement or what. Um but yeah, it's not a reviewable play, so that's not the umpire's fault. That's Major League Baseball's fault. Um, you know, he fessed up to the fact that he didn't hear the ball. You know, he couldn't see it because there were players in the way, which I think is totally valid. He couldn't hear it, which, I don't know, I wasn't there. Um, what was surprising to me was he he did confer with the other umpires, and none of them could confirm that uh, the bat hit the ball either. So I know Joyce is the one who gets sort of thrown under the bus for this. Um, but it does sort of feel like under the circumstances, he did what he was supposed to do. And to me, of the four umpires, I know he's closest in terms of sound, but he's got the worst view of something that, you know, when he's blocked. Uh, so I don't know. I I'm, I like that the Indians benefited. Uh, I, I hate umpire complaining uh, I do it occasionally, but a couple of years ago at Let's Go Tribe, there was just a stretch where like every game people were whining about balls and strikes and this and that. And I feel like that stuff tends to even out. And I think having a couple of high profile things go the Indians way makes it a little less likely that uh, the complaining that drives me so nuts will happen. Unless it's in a playoff game, in which case I'll be complaining too. So who cares? <laughs> you um, have to do at that point. Yeah, it's playoffs. Uh <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it seems like Joyce blew the call. The other three umpires apparently blew the call too. Uh, I'm going to tell myself the Indians would have won the game anyway. So, I mean, technically, they would have won because they had uh, it was only two runs and they they won by three. But I mean, you don't know what's going to happen after that no. if they don't get those runs. So, no matter what happens, we don't know what would have happened if that didn't happen that way. But I guess it all comes down to it's that whole thing about if a play is in front of an umpire, you can't review it. I guess that's probably, I guess foul tip is probably its own special category, but that's part of it. But I don't get why they couldn't come together and then say, that was a dumb call, let's reverse it. Uh, did he say after the game, because I didn't see whatever you saw, did he say that nobody else saw it hit the bat? Yeah, he said oh, okay. that um, he, he talked to the other umpires. Uh, I think the exact quote was, I think he referred to them as his partners, meaning the other umpires. He said, my partners couldn't help me on it. Um, meaning none of them, he asked them, did any of you have the ball hitting the bat? And none of them could say that it did. Uh, and it's not a, an officially reviewable play. So the, the managers 
without looking at anything, could have changed their mind. And he apparently asked, and no one else could say what had actually happened, so they had to just stick by the original call. Uh, and then in terms of where the players were, uh, I think, you know, he was asked why did he stop the game. And, um, yeah, I mean, he, he referred to it as common sense not to just let everyone run all the way around the bases. I guess we could debate that. I mean, we could say if, you know, if, if their catcher wants to sit there and argue – the Indians should be allowed to go around the bases. Um, he talked about a players in a discussion with me, and I guess he felt like letting everyone advance two bases. What was what was reasonable? I don't know. I mean, sort of like the ball going into the dugout. I don't know. But still, that's that's crap. So if so, if anyone's about to hit like a triple, just yawn goes to get in front of the umpire and start talking to him a lot, apparently, well, and then he'll stop the play with I mean, common sense. <laughs> but again, I mean, that wouldn't be common sense. I mean, I I, I think. Co- I don't know. I mean, if, if you want to let it go that far, you have to let it go, don't anything, you? That's fine. But we already asked the umpires to, to make judgment calls. Um, I don't know. I don't have a big problem with it. I would be, even if I weren't an Indians fan, I feel like I would have been fine with him saying, no, they all right. You know, you had no business talking to me before time was called. Um, and it's possible that in his heart of hearts, he wished he hadn't stopped anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I'm not that even not just because it favored the Indians. I just think in general, I'm much less critical of umpires than I feel like a lot of baseball fans are. And I don't know. I didn't, I just didn't have a big, not having actually seen the play. So all of this comes just (laughs) on what I've read, but just on what I've read, I don't think, I think he blew the call, but that's going to happen sometimes. And, Within the framework of him having initially blown the call, I don't think anything about the way it played out after that was done poorly by the umpires. I think we could completely debate whether baseball should change what is and is not reviewable. Yes. Um, But this isn't video reviewable, so it's not Joyce's fault that they didn't do video review. I do wonder if if it's either like a heat of the moment thing where he decided he just kind of it's a human thing where he doesn't know what to do, so he's going to stop play, or if he thought somebody else might have seen it so he could confer and take back the call, and then nobody else did when he got in the huddle. So I don't know. I guess I don't have a huge problem. I do uh, – I don't know. I guess I have a problem if he's going to let it go. He should let it go all the way, or he should have stopped it right away. That's my only problem with it, I guess. But he didn't know he should have stopped it. And Either way, I think the Houston Astros catcher should have just ran and got the ball. Yeah, and I mean, definitely. If I'm the Astros manager, I'm a, I mean, and, and he got tossed out of the game, and I get why he got tossed out of the game and was angry about it because the call was blown and all of that. But yeah, if you're the catcher, you've got to just play what the call is, and then when the play is dead, you can go and lose your mind at the umpire if you want. But I feel like at a pretty early level in any sport, you're taught to play to the whistle. And you see professional athletes not do that all the time. You see college athletes. I mean, there's never an age at which every athlete actually does that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I would certainly call him out for, you know, for not going after it. Because yeah, what and, would have happened if he had gone after the ball right away? Probably one run would have scored. Yeah, most probably. Although then time would have been called, but the runners would have stopped. So, yeah. Right. I don't know. It's a weird thing. Um, what else was I going to mention? Oh, yeah. Uh, when... What is their manager's name? The man, the Houston Nationals manager. But when he got thrown out, it was weirdly calm. Because <laughs> I think he even knew there was nothing he could do. And Jim Joyce just threw him out because otherwise he's going to stand out there forever. But he wasn't really angry. I think he just got that somebody screwed up a call and he had to argue it one way or another. And then he just kind of got tossed and walked away. 
it was just kind of weirdly calm considering I'm pretty sure Terry Francona would have exploded. Even Rick Manning in the booth was about to explode at the call. Because while Underwood was yelling about the run scoring, Manning was like, it went off the bat. It, it went off the bat. <laughs> and then the whole time they were debating everything, he was, it, it went off the bat, I'm telling you. So yeah, he was almost angry. If that happened to the Indians, I think Rick Manning would have like threw a chair out the window or something. Oh, yeah. And if that happened to the Indians, I, you know, we'd all be losing our minds about it. Oh, especially in the playoffs. Are you kidding? Yeah. <laughs> the, the if I were an Astros I fan, I'd be out of my mind about it. I'm certain of that. <laughs> oh, for sure. Especially with the Indians, like, every game they lose makes the race tighter. But I think the dumbest comment I saw was, it wasn't on our site, I forget where it was, either Twitter or something, but somebody said, well, they were angry at Lonnie Chisenhall for not saying anything. And, like, I wouldn't expect him to say anything. <laughs> Just yeah, let it play I... out. I don't. Yeah, it's not like when a player is tagged out and called safe. He's like, no, no, sir, no, no, he got me. That that's not something that happens. That's ridiculous. Good sir, he tagged me on my thigh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't want a player to like play it up. You know, the baseball equivalent to flop. I don't want someone to you know like pretend they got knocked over. But you don't need to go out of your way to be like, no, sir, you blew the call. That's not. Yeah. That's his equivalent of just playing the play out like the catcher should have done. Yeah. But yeah, uh, moving away from that, another thing that happened that was kind of big was Coco Crisp. He returned to the Indians. He was three for five with a double. I don't think that was his debut. That was his first start. I'm pretty sure he had a pinch hit before that. Um, but that was Trevor Bauer's really good start he had this week. It was eight innings, three strikeouts, or four strikeouts with three runs. He wasn't so good today, but he had one great start. And then I also have to mention, so let's see, I've had two kids. I potty trained them both. Those are all proud moments. But nothing has been prouder than watching Roberto Perez in the past couple weeks. I mean, it's it's like a one A one B scenario here. <laughs> I would just I would just like to point out that your pride in watching Roberto Perez these last couple weeks involves watching him be basically a league average hitter compared to what he was. Oh, I know. Yes, this is the equivalent of a birth of a child. <laughs> the kind of improvement we've seen: two home runs. He's had a couple. Clutch hits, a couple good outs for once instead of just weak dribblers. Um, yeah, he's been encouraging. Just in time for Jan Gomes to come back, probably. <laughs> yeah. So, anything else stick out to you? No. Uh, I mean, you, you, we touched a little bit on uh, how Monday's game was a bullpen game. And I don't think that's, I mean, I guess on some level it's sustainable. The Indians can have 37 relievers right now if they want. <laughs> um, so, I don't know. I, have they announced what's going to happen on, um, I guess it would be Saturday? That's going to be Clevenger's start on Saturday. But have they announced, like, is he going to pitch the oh, game no. or is he going to throw 40 pitches again? I haven't seen. Last I heard, they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I guess they have a six-game lead. They're playing the Twins. <clears throat> you know, I guess they can do what they want to do. It might totally be fine. It'd be a little weird if for the final month of the season, they just had four starters and a bullpen day as a rotation. But... I don't think I would be – I don't know that I would be critical of it. I mean, it didn't go swimmingly on Monday, but it's not like if Clevenger or Tomlin had just thrown six innings, it would have been likely to go better. Uh, yeah. So I guess I would be fine with just continuing to do this unless – you know, if, if, if Clevenger – I don't know how many pitches either of them is ready to throw. I mean, Tomlin could probably still go pretty much a full game, but Clevenger – Do you want him to? <laughs> well, right, but I just mean like – Clevenger right now, if he looks lights out on Saturday, I don't know that he's going more than 60 pitches, even if he's got a no-hitter going. I don't know what his arm is ready to do at this point. 
Uh, but yeah, I guess he, he hasn't pitched since uh, what is it Wednesday or Monday, so he'd be on a full start if they're stretching him out. Although so I know, he, but he he hasn't been starting for a little while and throwing a real game. I don't think someone who's in the bullpen for a few weeks goes back out there and throws a hundred pitches even on five days rest. Probably. Yeah, you're probably right. So I yeah. mean, I feel like if Clevenger throws four shutout innings on Saturday, then the next time he's lined up, then maybe you're like, no, he's just our starter. We're not doing bullpen anymore. Um, but if neither of them looks tremendous, then I, I, I guess I would just keep doing this for the rest of the season. I don't know if they're pro- if if it's not going to work with having a bullpen day and you're going to lose anyway. I think I'd rather just send somebody out there to get slaughtered for a couple innings instead of just what was it, like one and a half innings that Clevenger threw. I just don't want to burn them. Even with so many relievers, I mean, at the end of the day, they're not they're not they don't have unlimited relievers. They have quite a few. But I'd rather still not burn everybody out all the way into the playoffs. But, but it's weird that they have such a hole in the fifth spot right now just because well, of yeah. how far off a cliff Tomlin went. Even if it's a bullpen day, you need Clevenger and Tomlin giving you more than a combined eight outs, which is what they got on Monday. But, I mean, if, if they each did three innings and then you let – then you just let the game determine which relievers you used for the seventh, eighth, and ninth. I mean, if it's a close game, you use the guys you use in the close game. And if – Clevenger and Tomlin have gotten shelled. You throw the bottom of the bullpen in. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think the two of them can't each be getting three or four outs. Um, but if they can each go three innings, then I think they can keep this structure up for three and a half weeks. Yeah. It's nothing too bad with that. I don't, I don't want Tomlin to touch a starting role again the rest of this year, I don't think. I wouldn't, wouldn't even love him in the bullpen, I don't think. Maybe, I guess, but... There's a lot of other people I'd rather see first get a bullpen. Yeah, shot I don't out. like Tomlin as a reliever just because the home his, <laughs> his problem is home runs, and that's a bad problem for a reliever to have. Yep. So with or without a fifth starter, uh, is there any reason for the Indians to be afraid of the Tigers anymore? I have the Royals in here, but I mean, so the the, the, the standings break down as they are now. The Indians are 81 and 58. Uh, they're eight and two in the last ten. Tigers are 75 and 64, six games back. They're six and four in the last ten. And the Royals are 72 and 67, nine games back, and they're 500 in the last 10. I think the Royals, we can count them completely out for the division at this point. I'm <laughs> safe with that. And the Tigers, I mean, they do play the Tigers seven more times. So, I mean, getting swept twice by the Tigers would be kind of devastating. But outside of that, do you think there's any really reason to worry about them anymore? Um, I'm still a little nervous, but that has more to do with my the nature of my fandom. I think if I were like a more level-headed, even keel fan, I would feel like a six game lead with, you know, three and a half weeks to go uh, is safe. But yeah, because they play the Tigers seven times, I don't think they're going to go. Oh, and seven. But you know, if they were to go one in six, the lead, they'd still be leading, which would be great, but they'd only have one game cushion uh, in the other series they're playing. So I feel good. Uh, I'm not ready to ink the 2016 AL Central tattoo on my back just yet, though. So, so what you're saying is you're going to do it when they clinch, right? You're going to get a tattoo? <laughs> yes, definitely. Was that confirmed? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, my dream scenario is that the Indians are so far up that the last... Because the last two series they play are the Tigers and then the Royals. Yep. I want them to be up far enough where the series against the Tigers doesn't matter, but the Tigers are fighting for a wild card spot and then just destroy those hopes. I want the Indians to clinch 
and the Tigers to be eliminated on the same day. Yeah, that would be fun. Is that a little too cruel, or is that... No, there's <laughs> no such thing. There's, uh, yeah, the flip side to all this, the Tigers are obviously very, very alive uh, in the wild card race. And I'd say even the Royals, although they're, this could change in the next 48 hours, for now I'd say the Royals are still alive in the wild card race. Um, even the Yankees are alive, alive in the wild card race. Yeah, right I mean, now, the so. Yankees are... are, are I won't say very alive, but the end of the night, the Yankees might only be two games behind the Orioles. So, yeah, I mean, the Yankees are definitely in it, which, oh, my God, I don't think I can take watching the Yankees come back and make the postseason. If the Yankees come back, makes the postseason, and then beat the Indians in the postseason, I think I'm just going to have to go internet dark for, like, two months. (laughs) I I definitely don't want to. I was going to say I disagree with you until you got to the Indians part. I don't want to beat the Indians, obviously, but... I like watching young people or young people, young players come up and do well. So I mean, I don't want to say I'm rooting for the Yankees, but I'm okay with them getting in over maybe like the Tigers or the Orioles or the Ugh. Royals. <laughs> Terrible. Never. And I even live in the New York area, so. No, my my ideal is well, my ideal is Toronto and Baltimore from the east, Cleveland from the central, and Texas and I'll say Seattle from the west. Although that's all pretty far fetched. Well, not all of it's far-fetched, but all of that happening is far-fetched because Boston's going to make the playoffs. But I would love to not have Boston, New York, Detroit, or Kansas City in the postseason because those are the four teams that I least enjoy seeing have any level of success. So, Well, speaking of that, E. Hoops on Twitter, this is going to be a question for later. We're going to throw it in now. He wants to know um, what the ideal playoff match for us is, do you think? I know you before, I think you said the Orioles was yours. Is that still the case or is it different now? Yeah, no, of the teams that are in playoff spots right now or within a game or two of one, the Orioles would be my preference. The Orioles hit a ton of home runs, which is scary. Uh, They have a good lineup, but they have a very home run heavy lineup, which isn't to say they're not a good lineup, but I just, Boston has a fantastic offense. Baltimore hits a lot of home runs, and there's a big difference. Boston has a much better offense. I would much rather face the Orioles' offense than Boston's. And Baltimore's pitching just doesn't concern me. I feel like, yeah, they're going to hit some home runs in that series, but the Indians are going to be able to score their share of runs too. Um, Boston's lineup terrifies me. Um, Toronto has a very good lineup and some good pitching. Um, Texas, since the trade line, when they added a couple guys, they have a really good lineup and decent pitching. So for me, Baltimore is the team I'd like to see them face. Uh, to face Baltimore, though, I think involves passing Texas for the best record and then Baltimore winning the wild card game because I don't think Baltimore is going to win the division. Right now, the Indians would be facing the Red Sox, and the Red Sox are the last team in the American League I want the Indians to play. Yeah, I agree with that part. Um, the Orioles, I think, scare me more than they scare you. Just the home runs because, I mean, Salazar has problems with home runs. Bauer has problems with home runs. Obviously, Tomlin does. Brian Shaw does. Just a whole bunch of Indians on a whole bunch of Indians pitchers have major problems with home runs. So just the fact that they can do that, I think, is a little scary. Uh, obviously, either a division opponent, the Royals or the Tigers, if either of them slip in, I am perfectly okay with the Indians facing them in the playoffs. And I think I'm okay with betting on the Texas Rangers' luck running out at some point. <laughs> so I would be okay with facing them in the playoffs. It wouldn't be my first choice. It'd either be definitely the Tigers or the Royals. But I'd be okay with facing the the Rangers, I think. Especially the whole Lucroy thing. That's a nice little added bonus. But (laughs) just in general, I think 
because we talked about it in the preview that they're not particularly a great team. They've just had a really bunch of great clutch hitting, quote unquote. But I think that'll run out eventually. So I'd be okay with facing the Rangers. I think, even with the best I'd, record. I'd rather face the Rangers than the Red Sox for sure. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, I'd rather face the Rangers than the Blue Jays. I think for me, Boston than Toronto were the two teams. Uh, you know, that make me the most nervous. I don't know how much home field really matters. If they face the Rangers, there's a pretty good chance, you know, Texas has home field, whereas if the Indians face Toronto, there's a pretty good chance the Indians have home field. I don't know that that's really enough to make a difference between the opponents. But Boston, to me, is definitely the worst matchup for the Indians. In the end, I'll take watching the Indians play anyone in the postseason, but prefer it not be Boston right away. (laughs) No, it feels like the Indians have a better at home. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it always feels like coming home on a to a home stand, the Indians do so much better than on the road. Maybe that's just confirmation. Well, the Indians guess, have but. been awesome at home this year. They're I have it in front of me. They're forty-seven and twenty-five. Their run differential yeah. at home is awesome. Their offense is dramatically better in progress. So yeah, I want home field in the playoffs as much as possible. Um, and Texas has also been really, really good. Like those are the two teams with the best home records in the American League. So. Again, I don't think home field's a huge thing in a postseason series, but given that the Indians and Rangers have both been much better at home than on the road, it it sure would be nice to to make up the, I think, two games back at the tri-bar of Texas right now and get to play the winner of the wildcard game instead of Boston. Or whoever gets east. I mean, Boston only has a one-game lead. It's not like they're a lock to win the division. I just expect them to. Yep. It just... They're way better than anybody else in that division. If they don't win it, it's not because they're not the better team, I don't think. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to take a quick break for, like, just a couple minutes. Uh, Then when we come back, we're going to talk about September call-ups, roster spots, just glance over the Twins preview and your questions, and we'll be right back. back and now we're going to talk about september call-ups um i mean of course this is september so it's obviously the most exciting time the indians called up all kinds of top prospects right i mean they called up bradley zimmer they called up all kinds of pitchers it was so exciting no it was boring like every other year <laughs> last year they just used it to activate a couple injured players and i think all they called up last year was sean armstrong and this year wasn't that different uh they called up adam moore who's a catcher who's been really good in triple a at times but he's just a journeyman they called back Eric Gonzalez. Uh, they added Cody Anderson, Sean Armstrong, Joe Cologne, Kyle Crockett, and Percy Gardner. Um, and it allowed the Indians to retain Coco Chris without doing any kind of shuffling more with the roster. Um, so what do you think of the September call-ups that we've had so far? I think they're what you and I expected. You know, a couple of fairly low-profile pro- guys, a couple, you know, some extra arms for the bullpen, uh, a third catcher, which is nice because if the catcher, well, the catchers have been hitting in September. <laughs> yes, they have. Uh, but when they weren't, the ability to pinch hit for the, the catcher in extra time was nice. But yeah, you know, otherwise, September call-ups haven't really changed the lineup at all, which I think is good. The lineup has been playing well. They've got, you know, fairly good balance at this point. Um, you know, Crisp kind of evens out their their ability to go against lefties and righties pretty equally. Yeah, I, I feel like for a team in the Indians position, in the absence of a prospect, you know, like a star prospect who's just knocking down the door and you really feel like can make a big difference. Um, I feel like this has been what it should be. It's a few extra guys to eat innings when you need it, a little more flexibility to pinch hit or pinch run at the end of the game. 
Um, not even really by using the call-ups as your pinch hitters, using your normal bench players as pinch hitters, and then being able to put the extra guys in for defense. You know, I think they have a good roster to attack the last three weeks of the season. And while it's a totally minor thing that I probably shouldn't care about, and if anything, I should be against, uh, because it could hurt the Indians in theory, I like that the Indians have most of their minor league teams in the postseason and are letting most of the guys stay where they are and, you know, try to win a minor league championship because I don't know, I, if I were a player, I mean, I'd love to get called up obviously, but if I were expecting to be in the major leagues at some point anyway, I feel like I'd rather play in, you know, the double a world series than sit on the Indians bench and play like one inning of defense during those two weeks instead. (laughs) Yeah. If I was Eric Gonzalez right now, I'd kind of, regret where I am. I'd rather yeah, be down to I know there's a huge drill getting called <laughs> up. For a guy who's already been up and knows he's not really going to be doing much, I don't know, I'd rather be an important part of a lesser team than sit on the bench. And that might I no, that might be a minority opinion. I realize if I'd never been in the major leagues, I might feel di- differently, but for a player who's been there before or is 99% sure he's going to be there next year, um, I don't know, sitting on the bench when you could be playing in a playoff game doesn't seem that appealing to me. Yeah, especially for like Bradley Zimmer, who hasn't been very good the last month. He definitely needs to be down in the minors working. Uh, and the Clippers, they have Jan Gomes right now, who hit a home run tonight, I think. I mean, he's been playing a lot of catchers, so they have a really good team for their playoff run. But yeah, I think the Indians sort of agree with you that they leave their prospects down to play in um, postseason runs i don't remember if it was an actual quote or not but i swear i remember them saying that they, they do that on purpose is they, they like leaving players down to complete their runs because i think without that at the very least giovanni or would probably be up for like a late defensive substitution kind of thing maybe yandy diaz would be up i think his bat's ready he can play a bunch of positions but but yeah just let him play in triple a he's not going to play a whole lot in the majors anyway so let him sit yeah i mean you hear um, baseball people talk all the time about like experience mattering and even if it's minor leagues, I feel like the experience of actually playing in postseason games is going to have a bigger impact, if any impact, than sitting on the bench and watching you know, a right. major league pennant race. And the sad part is, in AAA in the playoffs, they're probably getting a bigger crowd than they would at Progressive Field, so <laughs> they're getting used to the pressure more. I don't know the seating at Huntington Park, but they're like sold out. They're giving away tickets for free, so... The Clippers are probably going to have a packed house for every game, I would think. Yeah, I got to say, I, I and I don't want to turn it into a big thing right now, but I don't talk about Indians' attendance much. But the fact that they've been in first place for most of the season now and have a Cy Young candidate, a Rookie of the Year candidate, a guy who might finish top five in the MVP race, uh, and they're drawing 11,000 people a game last week. And, you know, I think... It was like 11,000 this Tuesday, too. I, I don't gross. know what it takes. I mean, I guess if they you know, actually have an extended postseason run, then in theory next year the attendance is better. And I know you know people are like, oh, well, school starting. There's always something going on. I just – I don't know. I feel like – and as someone who doesn't live in Cleveland, this is on some level you know, not my place to criticize people who live there for not doing what I think they should do with their time and money. But it's like – man, if you don't want to go check out an Indians game now, you're holding out for too much. They're on the road for the next week, and then they come back, not this weekend, but next weekend, to play the Tigers. And those three games against the Tigers in the middle of September should all be sellouts. Should. Should. And maybe they will be. 
but it'd be incredibly disappointing if a weekend series with two weeks left in the series against your biggest rival who you're competing for the division title with, if you can't sell out a series then, that, that, that'd be a pretty poor showing. Yeah, I will be interested to see if they do go to the playoffs and make any kind of run, what it'll do next season. I, get, I think if they're one and done in the playoffs, it's going to be back to people saying, well, they don't win. I'm not going to yeah, do Yeah, no, I do but, too. But a couple series wins, I want to see what happens um, with the attendance next year. Because I think a lot of people, they just wait until the playoffs to watch baseball. And if they watch a few really good games of the Indians, maybe they'll want to go to more. Um, but yeah, it's really disappointing to see. It's weird to think that this is the same city that had that sold out, how many games was it in a row? Like several years worth? I already forgot yeah. the number. And I, and I get that there were a lot of... I've, I've pointed out to others how many differences there were in the situation then and now. Mm-hmm. But 11,000 people for a first-place team, it, like that, that just shouldn't happen. The Rays had more last week. Yeah. I mean, that's... The Rays packed more people into their dumpster of a stadium than the Indians did for Progressive Field. Maybe it's because yeah. the Rays signed Alexia Ramirez. Maybe that's why. He's just the attention getter. He's selling the tickets. He wouldn't be on the full season roster if they could. How disappointed are you that the Mets swooped in and signed Tim Tebow before the Indians could? Oh, darn. I was looking forward to that so much. You know, of all the of all the teams you can go to, New York is obviously the worst. I mean, just the it's never gonna not be talked about now. I would have yeah. been okay with him being buried in like Houston or something where nobody would care. But but the thing is, he's uh, never actually going to play for the Mets. I don't know who the Mets. That doesn't matter. Lowest minor league team is, but they can look forward to the boost of Tim Tebow fans showing up next year. And I, it's not going to go any farther than that. But we're going to hear about it every time he does something. No, though. well, yeah, that's true. I just don't think there'll be much to hear. <clears throat> There'll be the initial, like, hey, Tim Tebow is playing baseball. And then there'll be the anticipation of getting to talk about the stuff he's doing, and then he just won't do anything. I do kind of wish he did at the beginning of the season, because now it's the whole offseason to talk about what Tim Tebow will do when he starts playing. I think the kind of, since we're going to talk about Tim Tebow now, the thing that kind of sucks is that, um, I mean, obviously taking a spot away from somebody else, but it's of, like, 300 players, so that's not a huge deal, but... He just gets time off from Instructional League just to go do his ESPN job, which, I mean, if he's going to do the minor league contract, I would think they should make him do it just to prove that it's a real thing. It's not just a publicity stunt, but he can still go do his TV thing, even though everybody else has to do the Instructional League. I guess there'll be a huge mix. There'll probably be at least a couple guys who are, like, huge college football fans and are excited. I got to think some of his teammates, wherever he goes, are going to really, really resent him. And maybe he won't care. And maybe he's used to being resented because, you know, there have always been a number of people who sort of disliked him. I don't know. I, I got to feel like a lot of his teammates are not going to be thrilled to have him there. Uh, it seems like a lot of athletes like Tebow, though, just because he's the whole living his dream thing. I don't know. Yeah, but I mean, living his dream but not having to do what everyone else is doing. I feel That's like, true. you know, it's one thing at a higher level, but I feel like, you know, the guys who aren't making even minimum wage – uh, and have to be there every day, and then this guy is getting paid. Even his minor league contract is for way more than any of his teammates are going to be making. Uh, and then the fact that despite getting paid way more, he gets to blow things off all the time. Right. I at least feel like if I were his teammate, I would resent him a lot. He better buy a bus. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he better. That, which is what Michael Jordan <clears throat> better yeah, buy a does. nice bus and and provide the post game spread every game, even when he's not there. And I guess to be fair to Tebow, if Jordan was, I mean, if social media was around when Jordan did this, it'd be the same exact reaction, I think. Because especially the circumstances around Jordan doing it, like, 
just retiring out of nowhere and then going to baseball. I think you get the same reaction that Tebow was getting. That's just the annoyance of how much it'd be covered. But Yeah, I do think one significant difference is the fact that Jordan walked away from another sport when he was absolutely the best player on the planet, and it felt like he wants a new challenge, whereas Tebow failed as a professional football player, and so it feels like he's doing this because he can capitalize on his status to do something that he otherwise wouldn't get the opportunity. I think in that regard, it's very different. Like the Jordan thing. And I am from, you know, I lived in Chicago. I was, you know, up close for it. I think it the best player on the planet. Like it would be like if LeBron right now was like, you know what? I want to try baseball. Like that's the exact comparison for it. I, I just won a championship. Uh, I'm the best player in the world. I want to go try something else. And whereas Tebow, it's like, yeah, you were not an NFL player. And so what can you do to get yourself some attention? And I'm not saying he really doesn't care about baseball. He might. But in terms of perception, I do think the Jordan thing was different. Yeah, I can see that. That's also the reason I don't want Tebow to succeed. <laughs> we talked about it before. It's just I don't want him to fail at football and then pick up a bat and be good at it because we would never hear the end of that either. He's not going to. How much to. easier football is. Yeah. I'm he won't. I'm very he won't. confident he's not going to. But he didn't sign with the Indians. That's all I'm happy about. So I don't have to write about him anymore, ever again. <laughs> Just have to hear about him, unfortunately. And you made me talk to him. Made me talk about him. Come on, Jason. <laughs> 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 that was your plan the whole time. You spent 40 minutes just circling around Tim Tebow, didn't you? Yes. <laughs> I actually spent the last two weeks planning this, even before he was signed. <laughs> How can we talk about this on the podcast? I'll just sneak in at the end of September call-ups. Uh, so, yeah. So, roster spots that do sort of matter. Um, I don't know. I, I sort of listed them just so we can talk about it. But we don't talk about every single roster spot, I think, because some are obvious. But by the time the playoffs roll around, the Indians are going to be down to 25 players. Everybody's eligible one way or another, either between, either because they were on the 25 or the 40-man roster before September 1st, or they were in the minors and they can be shuffled up through basically a little loophole that'll let them be on the playoff roster because of Michael Brantley's disabled list. So it's a whole weird thing. But either way, just know that anybody that was in the minors can be added to the playoff roster anytime. So like Yandy Diaz, if somebody else gets injured, he could be on the Indians playoff roster just anytime in the playoffs. But heading into the playoffs, um, I figure we can just kind of go through position. Some of them are easy. Um, we'll just see if we agree or disagree. Most of them can probably be the pitchers that'll be different. But so catchers. Uh, Jan Gomes, Roberto Perez. Yeah, I mean, right? assuming Gomes, you know, his the rest of his rehab goes well, um, and he comes up and shows any semblance of life the last couple <laughs> weeks of the season, I think just his, you know, kind of the equivalent of him being the incumbent, I think he gets one of the spots. And then, yeah, I think, you know, Perez gets the other. I suppose you could argue that uh, Jimenez has been as good as Perez. But again, I think it's sort of just there's a pecking order and you have to way outperform the guy ahead of you if Francona is going to break up that order. So I, I think, yeah, Gomes, if he looks reasonably capable and then Perez is catcher. Yeah, at the very least, Gomes will be a backup, I think. But yeah, I'd... It, he'd have to be really bad to not be a starter in the playoffs. Even if yeah. he is really bad, he'd have to be borderline injured again to not be the starter in the playoffs, I think. Yeah. Uh, infield, we'll just go all around. It's Mike Napoli, Carlos Santana at first base, Jason Kitten at second base, Francisco Lindor shortstop, and Jose Ramirez third. Any objections there whatsoever? Nope. Who do you think is going to get the more starts at first base? Because, uh, I mean, it's been Santana lately, but that could have been just saving Napoli's legs. But Napoli's yeah, also been really terrible on defense. To keep Napoli fresh because he's older. Um, 
I don't know. I guess I feel like it'd be a pretty even split unless I feel like in the first game, if if they were both to hit well, then whatever the arrangement was for that game, I could see Francona just sticking with that mostly. Um, since you get you know a, a more days off in the postseason than you do during the regular season anyway. Otherwise, I guess I think it'd be pretty close to an even split. Hopefully, the Indians have like eighteen postseason games, so we get a large sample. <laughs> I'd be okay with that. Um, so outfield, I have Brandon Geyer, Rajai Davis, Tyler Naquin, Lonnie Chisholm, and Coco Crisp. Anything yeah, different for you? Sure. Yep. I can't think of anybody else who'd be there because obviously Almonte can't be. Um, and yeah, infield, Martinez. That's basically it because <laughs> the rest of them are outfielders. Any yeah. other? Do you think Eric Gonzalez is going to be in there somehow? No, I think Martinez nope. gets kind of the extra guy infield spot. Yep. Uh, rotation. I guess at worst, it'd be four-man. That's pretty easy, too. Kluber, Carrasco, Salazar, Bauer. Yep, and as long as they're all healthy, it's going to be those four. So, bullpen. I think this where it gets a little bit interesting. Um, so, this is who I want with a kind of mix of what I think Tito will do. Uh, I want or Cody Allen, Andrew Miller, Brian Shaw, obviously. Mike Clevenger, probably. Uh, Dan Otero, Zach McAllister, Cody Anderson. And then the last one, I want Sean Armstrong, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be Josh Tomlin. So what do you think? I don't know if you've written out who you think is going to be in the bullpen, but just in general, who do you think is going to be? Do those ones sound right or somebody else? I, there, like Percy Gardner? I don't think Josh Tomlin will be on the postseason roster. I see. I think I think Tomlin will be left off. Um, the guy who hasn't spent a lot of time on the team this year that I think has a decent shot of being on the postseason roster is Kyle Crockett, um, just to have a lefty other than Andrew Miller. I feel like in the postseason with only four starters, the bullpen gets to be a little bigger uh and so i feel like it makes sense i mean miller's the best left-handed reliever in baseball but he can still only come into the game once so i feel like having another lefty even just for like a single at bat in a, in a close game um you know if you want to if they're saving miller for later in the game or you know if miller already pitched and the game goes into extra innings or something like that um i could see crockett getting a a shot over like armstrong you think probably yeah yeah I mean, I, I haven't like counted all the relievers I'm thinking. I might have room for Armstrong and Crockett. Um, but I just feel like the, bull, the bullpen will mostly be what it's been for most of the season with, you know, Clevenger in there, and he's sort of been in the bullpen now for a while. And then Crockett is kind of the one guy popping in, you know, to take over for the fact that there's only four starters. Yeah, they obviously could have an extra position player instead, but Francona generally has favored an extra reliever over an extra position player. Slightly. <laughs> and like I said, I think Cody Anderson will be there. Um, I would like Josh Tomlin to be left off. I would be more than okay with that. Um, I guess the only other short man out would be Jeff Manship. He's been on the roster a lot, but I don't want to see him on the playoff roster. I guess that'll be it. Percy Gardner's been nice in the long in the stretch. I think he'll be around next year, but probably not in the playoffs. That's what I think pretty much for the 25 man. I think yeah. it's pretty simple the way it shakes out. There's not a whole lot of flexibility there with what they do, mainly because of how many outfielders they have to run because of the platoons. <laughs> so it yeah. makes it kind of simple. If everyone's healthy, I feel like you know that last bullpen spot is, you know, the only thing there's much to discuss. I feel like the, you know the, the position players I feel like are pretty well set in, you know, in, in who who lines up where. So um, this weekend, Indians going to be playing the Twins for like the millionth time this season. The last time, thankfully. And for what it's worth, the Astros 
the, the game tonight was the last non-division game. So from here out, I think they played the Twins and the White Sox once and the Royals and Tigers twice each. Or two, you know, series, two series each. White Sox are twice. It, they play everyone twice except for the Twins. This is the oh, okay. last Okay, I don't know the White Sox are twins. twice. Okay. And then the last three weeks, they have a home and a road against Chicago, Detroit, and Kansas City. Okay. So this Twins one is the most boring one. I mean, it's going to be Danny Salazar, Tyler Duffy tomorrow. Mike Clevenger, Hector Santiago, Saturday. And on Sunday, Kluber and Jose Barrios. Brian Dozier's good. Everyone else is garbage. Anything else about the Twins? <laughs> no. I will just say Brian Dozier, who has 39 home runs right now. One, Harmon Killebrew is the only other player in Twins history ever to hit that many home runs. Uh, they wow. have one player in their long... And this includes when they were the Washington Senators. They've been around since 1901, and only one player in franchise history has ever hit 40 home runs. So Brian Dozier could become the second if he hits one more. He would also, if he hits one more, become the first second baseman in American League history to hit 40 home runs. So Brian Dozier is having a crazy, in a crazy second half. He had like 16 home runs six weeks ago and has hit like 22 or 23 home runs. He's basically like Barry Bonds 2001 home run pace since the All-Star break, which is bonkers. <laughs> Wow. Uh, the one other thing be- to bring up, I said he'd be the first guy in – first second baseman in American League history. Oh. Uh, three National League second baseman have hit 40-plus. Uh, Rogers Hornsby, the best hitting second baseman ever. Ryan Sandberg, a great hitting second baseman. Uh, but the second base – I don't know. You may have already seen this because it's gotten some play this week. Um, do you know who holds the record for most single-season home runs by a second baseman? Uh I have no idea. Yeah, if you haven't seen this week, if you haven't seen it this week, I could give you a hundred guesses. Uh, <laughs> it's Davey Johnson, best known as the manager of the 1986 World Series winning Mets. Uh, wow. Davey Johnson in 1973 hit 43 home runs. Um, his highest season other than that was 18 home runs. So he never hit more than 18 except for the year that he hit a second-base record 43 home runs. Wow. <laughs> so, on the one hand, I think it'd be cool if Dozer hits another home run and, you know, 40 home runs, round number, and all that. Um, but I kind of don't want him to get to 43, because Brian Dozer feels a little random, but Brian Dozer's a better player than Davey Johnson was, and there's something sort of fun in a ridiculous way about Davey Johnson having the second-base and home run record. <laughs> It definitely is. And I saw that um, even with all the, the extra home runs this season, second baseman and shortstop combinations, they are like way outperforming everything. There's a lot more power up the middle this year. Part of that is probably Jason Kipnis a little bit. Obviously, Brian Dozier is helping it. But, but yeah, in general, like the Carlos Correa's, all the shortstops and second baseman hitting home runs, it's way outperforming what it's done in the past, even taking into account um, the extra home runs by everybody this season. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot, a lot of, of second base yeah, power this year. Corey Seager is going to be National League Rookie yep. of the Year. Uh, Manny Machado has moved over to shortstop, and he's super young. Um, yeah, I mean, shortstop and second base. I feel like shortstop, especially, you know, we're potentially looking at the next five years being an absurd amount of talent there. Which and, is good, I think. It's always good when shortstop is a really good because the Indians have their share of it. So <laughs> yeah. Just envious that other teams have a great shortstop. Oh, yeah. You think Brian Dozier will be traded in the offseason? 
The twins have apparently heavily implied that they won't, that they, they plan oh. to, you know, they're not giving up on being able to contend next year. There's something about like a letter that went out to their season ticket holders, <laughs> not that they're obligated to stand by what they said to try to convince people to re-up their season tickets, but apparently something what are they gonna say? heavily implied that Brian Dozier wouldn't be going anywhere. Yeah, it's not like they're going to say we're going to tank next year, so don't renew your season <laughs> tickets, please. I also saw they're thinking about hiring Alex Anthopoulos as a president, and I don't like the Twins doing competent things. That doesn't make me happy. Well, I, <laughs> I think they are interested in hiring the Cubs head of scouting, but the Cubs have apparently declined to make him available to interview. Go Cubs. Thank you. I think during the season that might be considered okay, but I think when the season ends – it's you can pretty frowned upon for teams not to let their employees interview for higher up jobs with other teams. So it'll be if they haven't signed anyone by the end of the World Series, it'll be interesting to see if the Cubs uh, say sure you can interview for that job or not. I always thought it was weird doing that in the middle of the season anyway, like for any sport. I know I do too. I understand why the Twins feel like they want to fill the, the vacancy, but on the other hand, what's your GM really going to do between now and the end of the World Series? You're not going to. Yeah. trade anyone because you can't right now and you're not gonna sign anyone because you can't right now there's not much for a gm to do on a team that's not going to make the playoffs until the world series ends anyway i guess unless it's going back to the season ticket holder thing if you get a gm now maybe it i don't know makes people have more faith and buy tickets. i'm sure it can't bump sales that much but maybe it has a tiny difference it always goes back to money so, anything else about yeah, this exciting There's nothing worth talking about on the Twins right now. Hopefully, the Indians win the series and build on their lead, and then we don't have to talk about the Twins until next March. There we go. So, let's move on. <laughs> so, every Thursday on Twitter and Facebook, I always ask for social media questions. Uh, let's Go Tribe on Twitter and on Facebook. I think I already said that, but that's it's at Let's Go Tribe on both of those. So, today I asked... Um, and I got, we got quite a few good ones. We got Matt Schlichting on Twitter. Obviously, he's a writer for us. He wanted to know, 538 says the Indians have an 11% chance to win the World Series using today's ELO projections. Too high or too low? I know this is the, not the answer anyone wants to hear, but I'd Don't say do it, Jason. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I think fun. when we look at, when people look at, like, chances of winning the World Series, I think for good teams, the percentages always seem low. Because people just like lose track of how the math really works. I guess it feels a little low to me, but not very much. If you think about it this way, like once the wild card games are finished, there are eight teams left. If every team was exactly as good as one another, with eight teams, everyone has a twelve and a half percent chance of winning the World Series. So when you talk about a team having like eleven point something. You know, they haven't actually made the play. I think basically what that's telling you is that the Indians project as about a middle of the postseason pack team. That like of the 10 teams that make the playoffs, the Indians are going to be something like fifth or sixth best. And that seems, you know, about right to me. They're not as good as the Cubs overall. Um, I don't think there's anyone else who's substantially better than them. But I think the Nationals and the Red Sox you know, they both have better run differentials. You can make a case for them. Um, I, it feels a little low to me. Like, if I had to make up a number on my own, I guess I'd say, like, 14% or something, a little above that 12 and a half. Um, but I don't think it's way off. I mean, the Cubs are probably at, like, 
you know, 20, 25%. And people are gonna be like, they're the best team in baseball. What do you mean? They only have a 20, 25% chance. But really you're saying that's like, they have twice as good a chance as an average postseason team, which when you look at it that way, it's like, Oh wait, that means they're really good. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, I mean, I don't know. The percentages in the postseason never matter. I don't think, <laughs> I mean, you never know what's going to happen in just like three games. Yeah, and no, absolutely. If, if you tell me the difference between like the Indians have a ten percent and they have a seventeen percent chance, what's the what's the difference? Right. <laughs> so sure, I guess I, I want it to be higher, so I'll say higher. I think they have a better of one in ten chance to win. I guess. I don't know. I like ELO ratings just to look back at stuff the way they do them, but as far as just looking this close to World Series, it's fun to look at and watch them shuffle around as we get closer. But in general, I don't think they matter a whole lot. But I would no, say hi. I mean, it's mostly about, like, you can look at them and get a set. To me, when you look at those, what it really is doing for you is giving you the computer's version of how good are these teams. So, you know, like, the Cubs have the best chance, and that's because any computer projection system right now thinks they have the best roster. Not only do they have a huge lead, and so they're, you know, a mortal lock to make the postseason – um, but they just project as a better team. The fact that they might be at 23% instead of 21% or 27% doesn't matter, but you can look at their percentage and go like, all right, projections are saying the Cubs have the best roster. Projections are saying the Red Sox have the second best roster. Um, and, you know, there's a little maneuvering within that because, you know, how big the team's lead is right now matters. Um but the Indians, I think, by most projection systems, have the third best chance of winning the World Series, which is basically saying they're like the third best team right now, and that seems about right. Yeah, that, that seems fair. <laughs> so, uh, next question. Uh, how do I pronounce this one? Allison Vermilia, 658 on Twitter, wants to know, what do you think the final home run totals will be on the season for Napoli, Carlos Santana, and Jason Kipnis? So, uh, I don't think Kipnis, he's at 22 right now. I don't think he's going to quite make 30. I'm going to say like 26, 27. Uh, Carlos, I think he's going to outpace Napoli by the end. Right now it's Carlos 30, Napoli has 31. So, I would say like 38, 39 for Santana and 35, 36 for Napoli. But it's just all making numbers up at this point. <laughs> but what do you think? What are the general totals for those three? Or what are they going to be? I want Santana to lead the team, and I almost never predict what I actually want. <laughs> so I will say Napoli holds on to his lead. Um, I'll say Napoli has 35, uh, Carlos has 33, and Kipnis has 25. Okay. So we, we just got confirmed that you're not a real Carlos Santana fan, so that's nice. <laughs> Are you one of the haters now, Jason? You're no longer allowed to use that picture of Carlos Santana in Cloud City. Oh, no. I will never stop using that picture. Because <laughs> after best. he retires, I will be tweeting that picture. <laughs> you know what you need to do, right? Have you seen, like, the big uh, shirts of Jose Ramirez's face? Yeah. You need to do one of that picture of Carlos Santana. There's an app for it. I might actually do that. <laughs> would you want one if I did it? Oh, yes. I, I would want one. I don't okay. know when I would possibly wear it, but I would want one. <laughs> I would wear it every day and never wash it. I'm trying to get a Carlos Santana shirt through uh, Breaking Tea, but I don't think they've had done it yet. Because I just give them ideas and they kind of work around it, but they haven't done it. But I really yeah. want a Slam Tana shirt one way or another. So, uh, what was the next one? Quit scrolling everywhere. 
Okay, so Christopher Allen Bouchard on Facebook wants to know, is Bradley Zimmer really better than Clint Frazier for us to keep for the long haul? So in the long run, is Zimmer really better than Frazier, or did the Indians blow it and they're the worst ever? <laughs> Are those the only two options? <laughs> okay, I guess uh, is Zimmer better than Frazier. I'm on record as saying I preferred Frazier to Zimmer. Uh, so if the Indians really could have picked which one they were going to send away in that trade, um, I would. I think they picked wrong. I suspect the Yankees preferred Frazier too, though. And um, you know, Miller's been really, really good. The Indians look like they're going to make the postseason, and you know, if they make the World Series, I, I, I don't think there's any criticizing the trade. Yeah, definitely. And I know on, on some level it shouldn't matter what they do in the postseason because it's sort of such a crapshoot. Um, but the reality is what happens in the postseason will factor into how people view the trade. Um, I feel like even if Frazier becomes a star, if the Indians make the World Series, you can't fault the front office for making a go-for-it trade if the go-for-it trade helped them actually get to the World Series. Um, and this isn't a situation like when John Smoltz or Jeff Bagwell was traded and like there just wasn't a great sense of what a good prospect they were. Like The Indians went into this with their eyes open. They understand they were giving away a good prospect who might become an all-star. Um, but Miller's one of the two or three best relief pitchers in baseball, and he significantly improves their chances of winning a close postseason game. And if he helps them win a couple close, close postseason games, then – even if I like Clint Frazier, uh, I can deal with the trade. But on a strictly Frazier to Zimmer basis, I like Frazier more. Yeah, I, I was on the Frazier train too. Um, they both strike out a ton. I think Zimmer has a much smoother swing. I think he has a more, I don't know what they put, like traditional way of being good. Frazier's just good because he swings so damn hard and he hits the ball once in a while. <laughs> but I think Frazier or Zimmer's way better on defense. He's also a center fielder, which I think is going to be good. Um, I think if they both get to the majors and live up to their potential, it might look like Frazier's better. He's going to have the the big home run numbers and all the flashy stuff, but like looking at value, I think Zimmer might end up being better, but Zimmer's been scarily bad sometimes at first streaks in AAA, uh, with strikeouts especially. Sometimes he has more power than Frazier, too, just not quite the bat speed, so I don't know. Um, but yeah, like well, you said in the postseason, if we, if we end the season with Andrew Miller with a ninth inning save throwing his hat up, nobody's going to care about Frazier. <laughs> <laughs> but also on the same on the same token, if we see end the postseason with a grand slam off Andrew Miller, they lost the trade. That's all I'm talking about. But that's the that's the way it's going to go. All that's going to matter is what happens in the postseason, <laughs> as long as as far as perception goes. Yeah. Well, and and in terms of Frazier and Zimmer, we'll have to reconvene in five years. It'd be kind of interesting to see them both come up and be good. I, I really don't want Frazier to be good now. I mean, I like Frazier, but. If anything, I can still root for J.P. Fire Eisen and Ben Heller, I think, because no matter how good they are, they're not going to help the Yankees as much as a superstar Clint Frazier. So I'm okay with him just yeah. kind of toiling in the main Although, line. on the other yeah. hand, you did say earlier tonight that you badly want the Yankees to come back and make the postseason. <laughs> I've already bought my Yankees jersey and my World Series tickets, so, I mean, they better do it. <laughs> so our last season, or our last season, our last question is also from Christopher Allen Bouchard on Facebook. He wants to know when will Giovanni or Shella be brought up? Probably not at all. Not this season. Maybe yeah, not even I, next season. I just I just don't see him really filling any need that's going to exist. I, I know, assuming no one gets hurt. Right. Even next season, I don't think. I think Yandy Diaz has jumped him at this point considerably. Yeah, I, mean, I think so too. 
Urshela played shortstop for some reason a couple games, but he is a third baseman, and Jose Ramirez has been a fine third baseman. Uh, Yandy Diaz is a better third baseman offensively, and he can play outfield, a whole bunch of infield positions. So Urshel is pretty far down the pecking order at this point, I think, at third base. So maybe too early to call his career with the Indians over, but the short future does not have Giovanni Urshela in it, I don't think. Agreed. Unless he pulls a Naquin in next spring training is just amazing, <laughs> which I'd be okay with that, too, obviously. But Even I don't that, think it, would, it would still require... Someone in, you know, if, if Lindor and Ramirez are both healthy, it's not going to matter what anyone does in spring training for who's going to start. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Naquin just got lucky with a lot of breaks and, and played really well in spring training. So, the same thing has to be for first shell. Somebody injured, suspended, whatever, to open a door. But even then, it'd be Yandy Diaz first. So, so yeah, not this year, not next year. Probably not the next year after that. <laughs> okay. So, that was all our questions. That's pretty much our episode. You have anything else coming up interesting? No. Back at school now? Back at school, back at the grind. Um, not much else going. So the uh, the Indians are in Chicago next week, so hopefully I'll be able to get to at least one game. I ought to be able to, but it sure does annoy me that Major League Baseball can't schedule the Indians to play at Comiskey during the summer or during a weekend. That's just rude. Uh, but I will hopefully get to one of those games. We'll see. You should ask them if you can steal a base. <laughs> yes, I should. I, excuse me, <laughs> They Chicago, let me do I, it. I was supposed to steal a base in Cleveland and I didn't get to, so how about it? <laughs> but I'm yeah, also when, an Indian. We'll talk next week. I will hopefully have an in-person story to tell, even if it's not nearly as interesting as my last one. I don't have anything. I have. Although, next to the Gathering, there's going to be a new set coming out, so that's pretty exciting. In terms of Totally not nerdy things. I'm going to a pre-release, so it'll be fun. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever played you, that, but but don't start You do it. you, Matt. No, I never played that either. That's another <laughs> thing that came around a little after I was like the right age to get into it, I feel like. What are you, like 50? Oh, oh, after the right Pokemon age. <laughs> it's been around since like the early 90s. Pokemon. I never saw Pokemon until I was like 17. Magic okay, the Pokemon, Gathering. Can, idea and you were the perfect age for Magic when it first came out. You'd have been like fourteen or thirteen. You'd have been good. You're just a hater, Jason. That's all you are. No, I'm not a hater. I think it's great that people enjoy the things that they enjoy. I don't like people who hate on other people's passions. <laughs> that said, it's not one of my passions. Although <laughs> I will say, when I was in high school, I was the one who saw people playing at the table and went, "What are they doing? That's weird." But once I graduated, I played it more. So, yeah, it's a huge waste of money, but it's fun. <laughs> That's all I got. Um, we'll be back next week. We got a shiny new logo. Everybody should see it now. Justin Bot made that for us. That's really cool. Because before it was just our Let's Go Tribe logo, but now we have a Let's Talk Tribe logo with little feathers in the corner. It looks like one of us ate the logo and spit out the feathers. So that'll be fun. <laughs> okay. Please describe it that way to Justin. I'm sure he'll appreciate. It. <laughs> I mean, it does. It looks like the logo was somewhere, and then the feathers fell after we ate the logo. I'm okay with that. That's exactly how I described it to him. I said, I want us to eat the logo and spit the feathers out. And he described it. Oh, well, in that case. <laughs> no. He did it all on his own. I just said, I wanted a new podcast logo. And he's like, okay, I'll make you one. And then it came out like that. No, really yeah, cool. he, he does some design work. You should, I don't know what, like, the name of, like, his, you know, site is where he has some of the stuff he's done. He's done some cool, like, stadium artwork. Oh, really? I didn't know he does actual other design other than SB Nation. No, yeah, yeah. You should uh, look it up or ask him about it. He's, he's got some cool stuff. What was the other thing I was going to say that he did? I don't know. 
But yeah, thank you, Justin. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next week. Thank you.